Welcome to Murder by Nature, where we discuss true crime, mystery disappearances, and unsolved cases. I'm Jasmine Hernandez, your host. Today we'll be talking about the Han Twin murder conspiracy, but before we do that, let's jump into our references. Evil Twins Season 1, Episode 1, The Orange County Register, The People vs. Gene Young Han, Medium.com. It was a crime made for headlines, good twin versus evil twin. Sunny and Gina would argue that there's no truth to the statement, but as we dive in, we will see that the statement couldn't even be more true than it is now. Our story begins on April 4th, 1974 in Inchnan, South Korea, when Sunny and Jean Han were born to their parents, Boo Kim and Yu Ho. The twins were born within five minutes of each other, but that didn't matter to the parents. Sunny was the eldest, and in Korean culture, she was the superior twin, and Boo Kim made that known. Boo Kim did not take away the fact that Gina was her daughter, but she always did treat Sunny a little bit better. Gina was to be put second to the eldest. Boo Kim had struggled during her own childhood, which she saw that it shared the same trauma that her daughters were starting to experience. But for Boo Kim, being a baby in Inchnot, South Korea, she had witnessed heavily armed North Korean troops, as well as her father leaving her mother at such a young age and having her mother have to raise six children on her own. As her own marriage started to fall apart, patterns of family instability seemed to repeat for her young daughters. Boo Kim and her husband separated and split the girls apart. The girls didn't see each other for over three years as Gina lived with their father and Sunny was with their mother. But even apart, the girls were oddly connected. Whenever Sunny was sick, she would tell her mother that Gina was sick too, and her mother never believed her until they ended up at the hospital together. And there was Gina, sick with some form of illness. As the girls got older and the custody battle with their parents came to a close, Mr. Han gave up his rights and granted the girls full custody to their mother. When the girls turned 11, their mother moved from South Korea to Seattle, Washington to live with a distant family member and have a fresh start. The girls were frightened as they didn't know how to speak English and shortly after moving to Washington, Boo Kim decided she was going to move to Orange County, leaving the girls alone in Seattle with family that they hardly knew. The girls knew that they could only use support from each other, that they didn't have anyone else. After about a year, Boo Kim felt like she was starting to get a grip on her life and moved the girls to Southern California to live with her. This is when things started to go wrong. When Boo Kim relocated the twins to Southern California, she floated from job to job, boyfriend to boyfriend, until she started working at a local casino as a cocktail waitress. She would work late hours and started to develop a gambling habit. Boo Kim would take days off at a time, leaving the girls to fend for themselves at home. Boo Kim realized that she was unable to take care of the girls and decided that she was going to send them to live with an uncle and an aunt in 1990 in Campo, California. This is a city near the United States and Mexico border. Sunny and Gina fell in love with their adopted family. They had a new way of life that they weren't used to. As the girls were starting to thrive within their new family and becoming more confident in who they are, they started high school at Mount Empire. They had a ton of support from their family and the staff at the school. The teachers remember the girls carrying around a huge English translator book, and every time they needed to understand a word, they were referenced back to that book. They called it their Bible. But like any other high school student, this is when the rivalry started to happen. With Gina being the younger sister, she felt like she always had to be better than Sunny. When one of the girls would get an A, the other girl would want an A+. 
The Norris family, which was their adopted family, saw this as a healthy competition, and it paid off for them. The girls ended up being announced as co-valedictorians of their high school. When the girls started to graduate from high school, that's when their life started to turn for the worst. After high school, the girls both had different plans, and for the first time, they wouldn't be together. Gina decided that she was going to join the Air Force, and Sunny got a full-ride scholarship to the University of Laverne. Sunny wanted to go to college, she just didn't know what she wanted to major in, but she knew she wanted to experience the college lifestyle. One month into Gina's Air Force training, it became clear to Gina that the strict environment was too much for her. Without a sense of freedom or support in the network in Texas, she began to panic. Gina often compared herself to her success in college. She felt like a massive failure. Even worse, she couldn't leave the Air Force for two years. She was trapped and in her desperation came up with a simple deception, one that many would soon follow. For the years of the Clintons, the era of don't ask, don't tell, a law that doesn't strictly prohibit gay, lesbian, or bisexual military members from serving as long as they don't reveal their sexual orientation. Gina will tell her commanding officers that she was gay to get out of the general discharge. This lie was met with a blowback from the Air Force. Frightened, Gina turned to one of the only stable adult figures she had known in high school, Charlene Mitchell, who had been a food service director at the Twins High School and their neighbor in a small rural town. She called Mitchell and stated, they're going to put me in jail. Mitchell calmed her down and talked to Gina's commander over the phone to find out what was happening. After a small battle, the Air Force let her go without any consequences. When Gina got back into the salvation life, she felt lost. She ended up finding a job at a casino where she would end up with the same gambling problem as her mother. Debt was starting to take control over Gina's life. She would drop thousands a night to feed her addiction. As she continued to compare her life to her sister's, she started to feel lost and alone. One night, Gina decided that she couldn't handle it anymore. She took a handful of sleeping pills and washed them down with a bottle of alcohol. Later that evening, Mr. Norris got a call from the hospital in La Mesa. Gina tried to kill herself. Mr. Morris made his way down to La Mesa to pick her up from the hospital. When he asked her why she did it, she told him she felt like everything was going down on top of her and she didn't have help. Gina moved back in with the Norrises, but due to her addiction, she started to steal money from friends and family. As her addiction got worse, Gina did something unthinkable. She broke into the safe that Mr. Norris kept in his office. She stole his credit cards, his bank checks, his personal checks, and everything from his business. Gina ended up stealing about $35,000 from the Norris family from their personal and business accounts. Sadly, they did end up pressing charges against Gina that would land her in jail for 10 days and 3 years on probation. While Sunny was in school, she seemed to be living a good life. She had fancy clothes, a luxury car, but people were starting to wonder where this money was coming from. Not too much surprise. It turns out that Sunny was also stealing credit cards from friends to fuel her luxurious lifestyle. When Sunny's friends found out that she stole $1,300, she immediately called the police and Sunny was arrested for petty theft. When the police asked, why did you take the money? She said, well, my friend's rich, so it doesn't really matter. I didn't think she would notice. Sadly, after that, Sunny started having boyfriend problems, which started to consume her time and cause her grades to slip. Since Sunny was at school on a scholarship, she ended up losing her scholarship and was ultimately kicked out of school after a year and a half. After four years apart, Sunny asked Gina to come live with her in Orange County. Unfortunately, it wasn't going to be what they thought. Living together as adults ended up causing a lot of trauma for the sisters. The sisters would get into physical altercations, frequently trying to push their dominancy. Remember, 
Gina always saw Sunny as a superior twin, so she was still struggling with trying to find her own guidance. Gina started to struggle with theft again. This was a problem that she would end up stealing from her sister, taking her car and her credit cards without asking, which would make Sunny very upset. One afternoon, the twins were fighting as Gina disappeared in Sunny's BMW for three days. The girls started fighting when Sunny got so mad she grabbed the phone and threw it at Gina's nose, breaking it. Gina called the cops and told the cops that Sunny was on probation and she attacked her. Sunny was arrested for 72 hours. During this time, Gina took it upon herself to use Sunny's identity, her BMW, and all of her money to rack up debt on a shopping spree. When Sunny was released and found out, she was fuming. Sunny decided that she was going to have Gina arrested for theft and threw her out of the apartment. When officers got there, Gina was arrested for theft and skipping out on probation. Remember, she got put on probation from stealing to the, from the Norrises, and when she moved to Orange County, she just left her probation. She ended up spending six months in jail. Gina was furious. With her sister turning her into the police, she blamed Sunny for all of her problems in life. So as she sat in jail, she knew that she could only have one time at having a successful life, and that was only if Sunny was no longer there. Gina escapes from prison, but her escape wasn't dramatic like in the movies. Gina, 22 at the time, was serving a six-month sentence, and as a part of her sentence, she was allowed to work for a low. During one five-hour pass, she called a friend and hitched a ride to an apartment in El Cajon, California, where two local women ran an unofficial halfway house for local misfits. On her second day on the run, Gina made a call to her sister. Sunny, under the pretext of collecting some stuff that she left at Sunny's place prior to the rest. The call didn't go very well, though. Sunny answers and says, How do you find my phone number? I threw all of your stuff out and I don't care about you anymore. Don't ever call me again. In lockup, fellow inmates had grown accustomed to Gina's obsession with her sister. If her course of action after escaping would have been in any doubt, now the familiar sting of rejection pushed Gina firmly over the edge, her burning rage and jealousy officially reaching a breaking point. Gina and Sunny had once stood side by side on stage, mere images accepting the title of co-valectorians. Now Gina, who had a ruthless knack for self-preservation, had come up with the conclusion that Sunny was the reason for her own dismay and spiral into adulthood, and would begin to hatch a plan to improve her a lot. She would kill her identical twin. Joni drove Daryl... Lambton and Gina from San Diego to Orange County. While Joni knew Clayton and Burns, well, this was the first time she was going to meet Gina. During the trip, Gina started to get mad and angry. She stated that she wanted her sister to be hurt, and she started to explain in the description of what she wanted to be done to her. Gina told them if they weren't going to do it, she would do it herself. Gina offered money to Clayton and Burns to kill Sunny, obviously. The group discussed starting to prepare a plan, alibis, all that stuff, and Gina insisted on searching for Sunny's apartment with the partial address that she was able to locate. She wanted her sister killed that night. From what seemed like forever, they weren't able to find Sunny's location, so Joni, a little freaked out, decided that she was going to head back to San Diego. On November 6, 1996, Archie and John were running late to school when they asked Gina if she can give them a ride to school, so she saw her chance. She suggested that they take a long drive to Irvine with her instead. 
She needed to swing by her sister's place to pick up a few of her things. Intrigued but a little relentless, they agreed, but only after Gina offered them $100 each to go with her. Archie excitedly hopped in the front of the blue Mustang while John sat in the back. They had no idea that they had just been drawn into a murder scheme. On the drive to Sunny's apartment, Gina told the boys what she needed them to do. She told them they would need to go into the door and act like they would be selling magazines to see if Sunny was there. She explained if Sunny answered that they were to charge the door and tie Sunny up, but they were to not kill her. She kept saying, do not kill her. That's someone else's job. Gina, along with the two men, went to a store and bought gloves, twine, utility tape, trash bags, pine saw, and several other women's magazines at the nearby market. Gina attempted to obtain a key to the apartment from the leasing office, but wasn't successful in that attempt. Sunny lived in Irvine in an apartment with Angie Wu, Helen Kim, and Shelly Herr. In the early afternoon, an Asian man that was later identified as John knocked on the door twice in a half an hour period, asking Angie if she wanted to buy magazines. She declined and told him that she was not interested. Angie had class soon and told Helen and Sunny that she'd be leaving to head to school. At about 3.20 p.m., Archie knocked on the door this time, and Helen answered. He told Helen that he was selling magazines and asked if she would like to buy some, but she declined and began to close the door when Archie pulled a gun out and John barged inside, pushing Kim to the floor. He tied her hands behind her back and duct taped her mouth shut. While this was happening, Sunny had just left the shower and she was hearing commotion, including Helen's voice pleading, please don't hurt me, please take anything you want, and a man replied, shut up. Sunny locked herself in the bathroom and called 911 on her phone. She reported a blurgery in progress and the rape of her roommate. The 911 operator was asking how many people were in the house, which Sunny replied, I have no idea. I can just hear people in the living room, and it sounds like my roommate's being raped. As Sunny pleaded with 911, she asked them to hurry. Archie ends up burging into her room and points a gun at Sunny, accusing her of calling the police. But she said she had only called in a friend. He grabbed the phone from her and threw her on the bathroom floor. Like Helen, she said to take what he wanted, but not to hurt her. Archie told her to be quiet or he would kill her. While Archie was preoccupied with Sunny, Helen was able to untie herself and she made an attempt to run, but one of the intruders caught her at the door and she was bound up again. Archie told her, I can shoot you for that. Sunny and Helen were brought to the bathroom and sat face to face from each other in the tub. Archie tells John it's time to get Gina. John leaves the apartment to go get Gina when he's outside. The cops show up with Archie still inside with the girls. As the officers approach the victim's apartment, they notice that there's a parked car in the carport. Officer McFarland approaches Gina and John in the car, while the other officers continue towards the apartment. Gina was in the driver's seat and John in the passenger seat. She claimed that she lived there and had been fighting with one of her roommates about 15 minutes before. Gina asks, is there a problem? The officers noticed that Archie stepped outside and then ducked back inside the apartment and ran to the backside of the apartment. Archie returned to the bathroom and began to untie Sunny and Helen, shaking with fright. He tells them to tell the police this was a joke. The whole thing was a joke. As Sunny and Helen make their way outside, they're both crying. Both of them appear to be in a state of shock. Their hair was ratted. They had duct tape in their hair. As Archie was coming out, he got put to the ground at gunpoint. He got up and said, what are you going to do if I run? Are you going to shoot me? He ran back inside the apartment and closed the door. But that only lasted for three minutes before he reemerged. This time, officers controlled Archie and 
they cuffed him ultimately. Gina came up screaming and yelling, what is wrong with her sisters? Everything okay in the apartment? Officers thinking she was the one that reported the emergency told her to please go back to her car for safety and she would be contacted later. And as officers began to search Archie, they found money, a condom, and a pager. All of this was claimed by Sunny. It was her property. Helen's sweater provided more duct tape and a nylon twine cord that was picked up in the driveway and in the bathtub. A loaded handgun, the safety unengaged, was found under some clothes in the laundry basket in Sunny's bedroom. After Gina realized that Archie was going to be arrested, Gina and John take off in the car. They head towards the local bank in Laguna Beach at about 4.30, where Gina uses Sunny's credit card to withdraw $5,000, and then they drive down to San Juan Capistrana at 7.30 to try and ditch the getaway car. Gina goes to a local dealership where she uses Sunny's identity to do a credit report and try and pay for her car with cash. The dealer tells Gina that she would need to wait because the credit report won't be done until 24 hours, and then she'd be able to leave the car. Gina was frantic. She knows the cops are closing in on her. Gina and John head towards San Diego. With the airport, there's a car rental place. Maybe they can get there and swap out the vehicles and get a new one. And they were going to make a break for Mexico. The police knew that Gina was close to the Mexico border, but didn't really know how to handle this. But they were already going to be one step ahead of her. Gina, while she was in the rental car office, had the cops get pulled up and pull their guns out on her. The two ended up surrendering. After being arrested, the officers decided to search the vehicle, where they located some new gardening gloves, a box of trash bags, $4,000 in cash, and Sunny's driver's license and credit cards. But they also found the receipt that had all of the cleaning products that weren't there. During trial, Ukraine and American people all rallied in support of Gina Han, generating thousands of signatures and asking the court for leniency. She maintained that she never intended to kill her sister. The Han case started to explode in the press, being quoted as one of the craziest stories since OJ. As the story is released, Sunny starts to feel like she must confront her twin sister. And what does she do when Gina goes there and tells her a completely different story? Gina tells Sunny that she had not been trying to kill her and that the police were lying to her. Shockingly enough, Sunny believes her. Her sister started to say that she never tried to kill her. She wasn't going to kill her. And Sunny told the media and the press that she stood by her sister. She believes that her sister was never going to try and hurt her. Sunny didn't want to cooperate with the DA or the court, but she knew she would have to testify in the courtroom. And no one can predict what Sunny was going to say. <laughs> On October 30th, 1997, in an Orange County courtroom, Sunny Hahn takes a stand. Sunny was a star witness in this case. On the first day, she talks about growing up in Korea and coming to the United States. She talks about all the trials and tribulations they had growing up, and she told her sister that she loved her and she will always be her sister. To the surprise of the court, Sunny stuck by her sister. She stuck by what her sister was saying. After the first day of trial, it concluded that Sunny gave a powerful defense for her sister. But on the second day of Sunny's testimony, a completely different Sunny arrived at the courthouse. She looked very strange. She had no makeup on. Her hair was messy and her outfit was not the one that you would see her in typically. She was a little slurred and having trouble walking. She confessed to the court on the witness stand that she went to the drugstore bought three packs of sleeping aids, and took them all. Sunny collapses in the witness stand. 
The judge immediately calls paramedics, and Sunny was taken to the ICU where doctors had to revive Sunny. A week later, though, she returns back to the court, taking the stand, and family and friends are convinced with all of this that has happened that Gina would be found innocent. On November 29, 1997, the jury comes back after 10 hours of deliberation in a course of three days. The jury found Gina Hahn guilty of all charges. She was charged with conspiracy to commit murder, two counts of burglary, possession of a firearm, and two counts of false imprisonment. The two teenagers were also tried with her as co-conspiracies. The judge sentenced Gina to 26 years to life in prison. Archie was sentenced to 16 years in prison, and John was only sentenced to 8. The reason why John was sentenced to 8 is because he took a plea agreement, and Archie refused. As Gina rotted away in jail, Sunny appeared to capitalize on all the news. She was going on talk show hosts. She was receiving $10,000, and in her time, $10,000 was a lot of money. This is the 90s for telling her story to TV tabloids called Hard Copy. Sunny told them that she believed Gina never meant to kill her, but in court, they also gave really good, solid testimony against her. While waiting to be transferred to the state prison in Orange County, Gina began hiding a stash of Tylenol pills that she collected from the jail commissary. Three days after the verdict was read, Gina was rushed to West Medical Center in Anaheim to have her stomach pumped and ultimately survive an overdose. While incarcerated, Gina worked towards an associate degree from Feather River College, eventually graduating with a degree in social and behavioral science. Gina stated that she's interested in doing anything with behavior and social patterns because I recognize my own behaviors and how it's tied into my personality at the time. The person I was before, before I committed the crime, I felt a lot of guilt and shame for my sister's life because I know she's struggling. Not being able to be there for her and the trauma of my actions my sister has to endure, I know that's hard for her. I was feeling very, very guilty and shameful for what I've done to my sister. In her self-reflection, Gina was forced to admit her actions instead of redirecting blame. In a way, Gina finally became her own person. In 2007, the parole board read out a letter from Sunny supporting Gina's release. She thought that Gina had grown up and served enough time. Additionally, she wanted Gina to be with their mother, who was suffering from diabetes and still a gambling problem. Under California law, the decision for parole includes a 120-day review period, with Governor Jerry Brown having the final say on upholding or rejecting the parole. The law presumes that the inmate should be recommended for parole unless there's evidence that they are a current danger to the community. The Orange County District Attorney Office petitioned the governor to reject the parole board, stating that Gina was still a threat to society, that she was a danger. She was still very manipulated. Deputy District Attorney Nikki Chambers, in a letter to the governor last year, said that Gina Hahn, as an example of her plans for parole, gave the parole board letters from male pen pals that offered her money, jobs, and lounging. The pen pals from abroad and across the country, including one man from England, gave her a hundred thousand dollars after only corresponding for a year the prosecutor said this manipulability is not surprising given her extreme intelligence coupled with an untreated personality disorder chambers wrote the fact still remains she is still flexing the manipulation muscles that she used when she recruited two young teenagers to help murder her sister and they appear to be just as keen as they were in 1996 a forensic psychologist though reported to the parole board that gina does have positive discipline in history and education accomplishments but has never participated in mental health treatment on October 28, 
2017, the parole board made a recommendation for Han's release, who is now in her 30s. She was released on parole on May 24, 2018. With Gina being released on parole in 2018, the script had flipped. Boo Kim now only keeps in contact with Gina, not Sunny. She recently bragged that Gina, the new golden child, received an engineering degree and was working in San Francisco Bay Area. In February 2020, 45-year-old Sunny was once again arrested in Buena Park police officers, this time outside a donut shop among the notorious mile stretch of Beach Boulevard. The sister's relationship ultimately takes a vampiric quality with one that is strong and the other that decays or disappears, as though the two physical doubles are incapable of coexisting. Sunny was not really impossible to track down, but her mother doesn't seem to want to look for her. When asked about Sunny's whereabouts, the mother of two paused for a long time. She finally responds, I think Sunny's dead. My thoughts on this case is very twisted. This is two young girls that went from having this life in South Korea and having a huge culture shock coming into California. Their mom left them in Seattle, then they were brought back down, and then they weren't with their mom anymore, and then they tried to fend for themselves. They had no real skills in life to help deal with these coping mechanisms of everyday to day life. They used their charm to kind of get what they wanted, and then when they didn't get what they wanted, they ended up just taking it anyways and not really caring about the consequences with Gina skipping out on parole and Sunny just kind of doing whatever she wanted and thinking that she was superior to everyone they had huge superiority complexes I feel like there's a lot that goes on with these twins and the more and more I learned about them the more that it felt like they were just a little spoiled with the lifestyles that they were trying to live and they didn't want to give those up they didn't think about the consequences that they were doing to the people around them with stealing from those people. And that's where I have a huge problem with this. I think, honestly, that Gina would have never actually killed Sunny. I think it was one of the fits that they were throwing to get the attention because they felt like they weren't being heard. I don't think Gina would have necessarily ever been able to go through with what she was planning on doing. I think she just wanted to throw a fit and wanted her sister to have some form of trauma for it. But when everything came down, I think she was scared and didn't realize what she actually did. When it comes to their mother, I, I have so many words and thoughts on that. Their mother really treats them in that Korean culture as one being superior over the other. She does not give them a fair life. And with their mom, if she's friendly with one, she's not friendly with the other. And that, to me, I think is what gave them a lot of what these issues are and what they're going through. Mr. Norris in the documentary for Evil Twin kept reiterating that he does not believe that Gina would ever hurt Sunny, which I agree but I think that they had some jealousy over the life that they were living and all of that. Sunny had this lavish lifestyle, but undercover, she was doing the same things that Gina was doing, just a little bit more sleek. And then with Sunny, she was like, oh, I'm better. I'm, I'm the best. But then as we see later down the line, they are still doing the same things that they were doing then. Nothing's changed. They have no remorse for what's going on with their life. They have no remorse for the people around them. They just want what they want, and that's all that they're going to do for it. That brings us to the end of our episode. As always, thank you for listening to Murder by Nature. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any streaming platform that you're currently on. And be sure to come back on Saturday. I know this episode was not released on Saturday. A little bit of delays there. Sorry for that. But we will have a new one this Saturday. 
Until then, I am your host, Jasmine Hernandez, and don't forget to stay safe. Don't get murdered or murder people, you lovely humans.